Welcome to the LaGrave CRC Podcast. Today you will be listening to the sermon, A Prayer for Extravagance, by Chad Borsma. David writes, Have mercy on me, O God, according to your unfailing love. According to your great compassion, blot out my transgressions. Wash away all my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I know my transgressions and my sin is always before me. Against you, you only, have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight. So you are right in your verdict and justified when you judge. Surely I was sinful at birth, sinful from the time my mother conceived me. Yet you desired faithfulness even in the womb. You taught me wisdom in that secret place. Cleanse me with hyssop, and I will be clean. Wash me, and I will be whiter than snow. Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones you have crushed rejoice. Hide your face from my sins and blot out all my iniquity. Create in me a pure heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not cast cast me from your presence or take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and grant me a willing spirit to sustain me. Then I will teach transgressors your ways so that sinners will turn back to you. Deliver me from the guilt of bloodshed, O God, you who are God, my Savior, and my tongue will sing of your righteousness. Open my lips, Lord, and my mouth will declare your praise. You do not delight in sacrifice, or I would bring it. You do not take pleasure in burnt offerings. My sacrifice, O God, is a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart you, God, will not despise. May it please you to prosper Zion, to build up the walls of Jerusalem. Then you will delight in the sacrifices of the righteous, in burnt offerings offered whole. Then bowls will be offered on your altar. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. And I invite you, if you're so inclined, to keep the the Bible handy. We will take a look specifically at some of those verses this evening in the message. A family was planning for a memorial service for their mother after she had died from a lengthy, debilitating disease. One of the daughters, Anna, was scheduled to take part in the service And she wondered what would be the best way to honor her mom. Various options were considered. She could sing a solo, perhaps read a poem. Maybe she could share a fun family memory. But what she decided on instead, after considering those possibilities was to play a piano arrangement of the tune Finlandia, a tune that is often used for several hymns, including the hymn 
be still, my soul. Why did she decide to honor her mom in this way? Well, to understand that, you have to know the backstory of why the selection was made. Backstory is a relatively newer term, but the idea is not new. It is simply the story that leads up to the main story. Sometimes it's used to add depth or believability to a story. But other times it's simply meant to give us the background to the story that we're reading or that we're hearing. The backstory to Psalm 51, our passage tonight, is one that perhaps is familiar to many of you. David, the king of Israel, sends Joab, the king's men, and all the Israelite army out into battle. David, however, remains in Jerusalem, which is an unusual thing for a king to do at occasions like this. One evening, David gets out of bed, and walks around the roof of the palace. And as he does, he looks down and sees a woman who he finds very attractive. She is beautiful. Very beautiful. In fact, she is the only woman in the Old Testament described in this way. Instead of trying to forget what he sees to erase that image from his mind, David sends someone out to find out about her. Who is she? What is her name? He wants to know more as his infatuation with her continues to grow. The servant returns. Your majesty, isn't the woman you inquired about Bathsheba, the daughter of Eliam and the wife of Uriah the Hittite? Although he doesn't say it specifically, the servant's information is quite clear. She is a married woman, David, a woman married to one of your best soldiers. No matter the king sends messengers to take her from her home and bring her to the palace. What choice does she have? David is in a position of power, and she is a lowly woman. The two sleep together, and afterwards she returns back to her home. Perhaps in David's mind, the relationship is over. However, sometime later, troubling news from Bathsheba reaches the palace. She is pregnant. The horror can likely be seen on David's face, and he immediately begins a plan to cover up his sin. Send me Uriah the Hittite, David orders, as the cover-up begins to unfold. When Uriah arrives, David fires a barrage of questions, 
perhaps to hide his real reason for having him brought to the palace. How is Joab? He asks. Are the soldiers holding up all right? Are we making good progress against the Ammonites? After receiving the answers, David instructs Uriah to go home and to sleep with his wife. The plan, however, does not work. Uriah instead spends the night sleeping with the servants at the entrance of the palace. When questioned about it later, Uriah says, How can I enjoy all the comforts of home when so many are roughing it in tents for Israel's cause? Desperate for Uriah to sleep with his wife in order to cover up the adultery, David makes Uriah stay for another night, and he gets him drunk in the hope that in his drunken state, he will go home and sleep with Bathsheba. Uriah, however, again fails to go home and stays with the servants at the palace. As one commentator put it, Uriah, drunk, is more pious than David, sober. Unable to get Uriah to sleep with his wife and desperate to cover up the adultery no matter the cost, David, in his mind, feels he is left with only one option. Uriah must die. Rather than commit the crime himself, David decides to let the Ammonites kill him instead. He sends a letter to Joab via Uriah, of all people, that says, Station Uriah on the front lines where the battle is fiercest. Then pull back so he will be killed. And that is exactly what happens. In the end, it appears at the human level that David has gotten away with his evil schemes. He manages to successfully cover up his adultery and take his mistress as his wife, perhaps even making it seem like a benevolent offering in caring for a fallen soldier's widow. However, chapter 11 of 2 Samuel, where this story takes place, ends with an ominous note. God is displeased. In fact, in Hebrew, it literally says, the thing was evil in Yahweh's eyes. What does the Lord do about it? He sends the prophet Nathan to confront the king about the evil he has done. David listens to the story about the rich man who refuses to use his own livestock to care for a traveler, but instead does so by stealing a lamb from a poor man. David sees the injustice in the story and is infuriated about it. Nathan looks at him and gives probably one of the most pointed applications of a sermon. 
David, you are the man. There are times in our lives when we also need to be confronted about our sins. Often that happens by the work of God's Spirit, moving and working within our hearts and minds. But at other times, God uses people to confront us about our sins. Such was the case with Anna and the backstory of her participation at her mother's memorial service. In that family, all the children took piano lessons. Their mother played the piano, often at church. So it was a natural thing that all the sons and daughters would take lessons as well. And Anna was no exception. She learned the notes, she practiced her scales, she became familiar with the chords. But while her ability to read music was growing, she also discovered something else. She could play by ear. She figured out with this newfound ability that she really didn't need to learn all the required music for her lessons. She simply had to listen to someone else playing the piece, and then she could play it by ear at her lessons. Pretty clever, huh? She tried it with her older siblings, her friends, and her neighbors. None of them caught on to her scheme. Then she tried it with her mom, having her play the piece so she could listen carefully to it. It worked beautifully. So she decided to try it a second time. That was a mistake because her mom caught on to what she was up to, and as the daughter admitted at the memorial service, the gig was up. What are we to do when we are convicted of our sins? For Anna, she sought forgiveness from her mom and made things right. In fact, at the memorial service, she even played that Finlandia piece by reading the music, not playing it by ear. She thought that was a fitting way to honor her mom's memory. In addition, though, to seeking forgiveness from others, we also need to seek forgiveness from God. Especially when we consider his character, who he is. In Psalm 51, which is very likely David's prayer after being confronted by Nathan, we are reminded that God desires his people to be faithful to him. For he is a God of righteousness who will judge us according to our sins. We see that in verses 4 and 6. Despite this, however, he is also a God of unfailing love. Hesed, the word is. And he is a God of great compassion. In verse 1, we see that he is the one whom we can seek when we are in need of mercy. 
knowing that God is displeased with him, David is convicted and comes to God in prayer. In no less than eight different variations, David pleads for forgiveness. If you have your Bibles open yet, you can follow along with this. Verse 1, Have mercy on me. Blot out my transgressions. Verse 2, Wash away all my iniquity. Cleanse me from my sin. Verse 7, Cleanse me with hyssop, and I will be clean. Wash me, and I will be whiter than snow. And in verse 9, Hide your face from my sins, blot out all my iniquity. Why does David ask for forgiveness so many times? Perhaps because he realizes the depth of his sin. He says, I recognize my rebellion. It haunts me day and night. In fact, I was born a sinner. Yes, from the moment my mother conceived me, I was sinful. We see in verses 3 and 5. And he goes on to pray in verse 4. Against you, you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sights. He sinned only against God? Didn't he sin against Bathsheba and against Uriah? And against the people of Israel as he abused his power that he had in leadership? Yes, but notice the doubling of the you in verse 4. It is likely that David is overstating the case, using a bit of hyperbole to suggest that the sin against the others was ultimately an attack on God. The real awfulness behind our transgressions, no matter how big or small they may seem to us, is how we treat God, how we dishonor Him, how we disobey His Word. When we do, we trample on His heart. It is perhaps this realization that leads David, by God's Spirit, to make a bold, audacious request in verse 10. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a steadfast, loyal spirit within me. At first glance, it appears that verse 10 is somewhat similar to David's other petitions for forgiveness. But when you dig a little deeper into the original Hebrew language, you realize there's something more to this verse. The Hebrew word for create in verse 10 is bara, transliterated B-A-R-A. And while create is a good translation, 
and probably the best one that can be found in the English language, it doesn't fully explain the meaning of the word. The word bara has three unique features to it. First, only God can serve as the subject of this verb. It is only him that can do the creating. In fact, one scholar noted that if we were to go back in time to biblical Israel and we were to use that word to describe something we created, it would be considered blasphemous. Second, this word emphasizes the initiation of an object, starting from the beginning. We might say today, starting something from scratch. And finally, and perhaps most notably, the things that are created, created by God, are remarkable and extravagant. God isn't creating ordinary things. When this word is used, he is creating things that are extraordinary. This is illustrated so well when the word is used in the book of Genesis, as we read earlier in the service tonight. Beginning with the very first verse, we read of God creating, bara, the heavens and the earth. And in later verses, the word is used to describe God creating great sea creatures, as well as mankind in his image, male and female. He created them, it says. The word is also used a bit in other Old Testament books, Deuteronomy, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, Amos, Malachi, but it's used most often in the book of Isaiah as God, through the prophet, launches an attack against idol makers and idol worshipers, and he proclaims to them that he created all things. He is the Lord and none other, he declares to them. The most unique, profound use of this word in the Old Testament, however, is found in our passage tonight in verse 10. Despite all his shortcomings, despite all his sins, Despite all his hideous actions, David is asking the God of all creation to pour out his mercy and to do something remarkable, to do something extravagant, to do something miraculous. David doesn't just want to be cleaned up a bit from this mess, David boldly asks God for a new heart, a heart that is loyal to him. It may be easy to look at David's sin and the mess he created and think, 
I have never done anything that bad. And for most of us, that is probably very true. However, when God looks at our sins, no matter how small they may seem to us, he is displeased, just like he was at the end of 2 Samuel chapter 11. The good news for us, though, is that what God led David to do in this prayer is also available to us. And perhaps even more so, because Jesus took our sins upon himself when he bled and died upon the cross. And the book of Hebrews reminds us that we can approach God's throne with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in our time of need. Friends, God invites us to seek his mercy as we confess our sins and ask him to bara, create in, heart, create in us hearts that are new, hearts that are devoted to him. Amen. Would you join me in a prayer of confession. And at the close of this prayer, we will pray and sing together words from Psalm 51. Let us pray. God of unfailing love and great compassion, we come to you seeking your mercy. Hear now our silent prayer as we confess the times when we have done things we should not have done. God, our Savior, wash away all our iniquity and cleanse us from our sin as you hear our silent prayer for the times when we have not done things that we should have done. Thank you for listening to LaGrave CRC's Sermon Podcast.